We're in the letter to the Ephesians, and um, we're in verse in chapter five. I did have a little blip. Oh, there it is. Chapter five. I'm just going to read this from the ESV. It's going to be up here as well. All oh, just about fits on the screen. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity, all covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints, that there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Do you think I was really glad when I read this and thought, oh good, there's a good passage to preach on. <laughs> there you go, we're going to preach on it. It's a good passage. Therefore do not become partners with him, for at one time you were, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The letter to the Ephesians is is kind of the bigger picture. I sometimes feel that life or the world or eternity, if you like, can be broken down into various levels. I've, I've got three, but there's, there may be others. But I feel like there's, there's kind of like a surface level. The surface level is kind of, I want to have a good job. I want to do well in my life. I want to marry and have a family. But how many know that actually life isn't necessarily like that? It doesn't kind of always work out like that. There's another level, a kind of deeper but bigger level, and that is the world we live in. Global warming, storms, tsunamis, or maybe it's the politics of the land. Maybe we live hoping that we never have to experience war. But there's another level. And that's the level of the kingdom of God. I love Romans 8 where it says, the whole of creation, in the, old, in the AV used to say, stands on tiptoe, I love that, stands on tiptoe, anxious, yearning to see the sons and daughters of God come into their own. To be revealed, to step into all that God has for them. 
nature itself is waiting for God's people to enter into all that God has prepared for them. There's this big level, there's this level where even even the most evil man in the world, and at one time that would have been Nebuchadnezzar, can be humbled by God. Even the most powerful man in the world, and at one time that was Pharaoh, has to submit to the will of God. And even an evil, powerful man like Cyrus can become the tool of God and hear God and do as he is instructed. See, no part of this world, whether it's our lives, my job, my family, my relationships, or whether it's the world, whether it's this creation that's struggling with what humans have done with it, everything ties in to this picture of God. And this picture ends one day, or it doesn't end, it actually is a new start with the bride of Christ. You see, the whole of creation is waiting for the day when its very purpose becomes fulfilled in that this place, this earth that we live in, is a melting pot. It's a, it's a place where God is creating something absolutely wonderful. A bride of Christ. Do you think, have I said this before, haven't I? Do you th- and apologies to blondes, but do you think the bride of Christ is a dumb blonde? I don't think so. I think the bride of Christ knows what authority is. It knows what pain is. Because Jesus knows what pain is. And if this bride of Christ is going to be worthy of the Son of God, then every tear, in Psalms it talks about every tear being bottled. The very heart, the broken heart that we experience joins us to Jesus. Joins us to the struggle and the pain that he walked through. There's a bigger picture. And this letter of Ephesians is about that bigger picture. It's about a glorious hope for the people of God that live their lives and stand in contrast to the world, but are actually defining and shaping this world. It's a letter that connects the daily struggle to be Christ-like with the massive battle that we are contending in the heavenly places. And it reassures us that God is sovereign and will ultimately bring all things in submission to him. And perhaps the most amazing thing is that we're part of that. You and I, our names are in that book. We were chosen, it says, before the foundation of the world. 
we wage war with all the saints. As Paul tells us. And as we do that, we raise up Christ. And we become more aware, as it says earlier in Ephesians, of the immeasurable greatness of the Father's power towards us. And the immovable love that God has for us. Even in that first layer, that layer of the struggle of this life, God's love is bigger. I just want us to get wind back. We started in chapter 4, because the first three, we spent last year really on the first three chapters, but we can't ignore it because it it shapes these other chapters. Chapter 4 starts with the word therefore, and and what do I say about the word therefore? If you see a therefore, you ask what it's there for. Therefore is because of chapters 1 to 3. Because of the blessing that God's given us. Because we're made the children of God. Because we are redeemed. Because we have received lavish forgiveness. Because we have an inheritance. Because we are sealed in the Holy Spirit. Because we're raised with Christ and seated in the heavenlies. Because we who were dead are now alive because God has broken down the barrier between Israel and the Gentiles, because we are fellow citizens with all the saints, a people set apart for God. We are, because we are the the church and it's making the wisdom of God known in the heavenly places, because we are rooted and grounded in the love of God who is able to do so much more than we can even ask or think according to the power of God within us. That is what the therefore is there for. Because of those things. Because God has started this wonderful, amazing work that started with him coming. As Well, actually, it started before that. It actually started in the Garden of Eden, where God was creating man in his image. And then... We get to the beginning of chapter 5. I'm sorry, it's still beginning of chapter 4. Where it says, Because, therefore, walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And we looked at chapter 4. And chapter 4, what is chapter 4 says? This is what it is to walk worthy. Being humble and gentle. Maintaining the bond of peace. Taking seriously the spiritual gifts he's given us. So we're not deceived by craftiness with deceit, but rather we speak truth in love, building up the body. Not walking in futility of thinking but, and becoming callous and ruled by a sensuality, but having our minds renewed, putting on a new self. This is what it means to walk worthy of the calling to which we are called. Putting aside falsehood because there's no place and Phil helped us with this really well last week. Anger, appropriate at times, but controlled. Stealing and laziness replaced with honest work. Our mouths are to be pure, used for strengthening the body, never ever grieving the Holy Spirit. And we come now to chapter 5, verse 1, which starts with the word... Any guesses? Therefore. Therefore. 
Therefore, he says, be imitators of God. Imitators. A person who copies someone or something that they think is good. There's a Cambridge Dictionary. We all know what imitator means, I think, I hope. It's to see God and to be like him. We are his children. We are made in his image. And that that making in his image is an ongoing work. It didn't just sort of was a one thing, but it's actually even now we're still being reformed in the image of God. To be imitators of him. Paul is taking this thing up a level. You see, walking worthy now includes imitating Jesus, doing the very things that Jesus did. I've heard it said that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. But we also know often that the imitation is not as good as the real thing. That's what experience tells us. And our media feeds us endless supplies of people who idolise others and want to be like them. Whether it's dress style, whether it's their language, the way they speak, where it's their attitude, or maybe it's their success. Maybe it would be Warren Buffett's, I don't know. It's, it's strange how, I don't know if you've noticed it, but musicians who have a unique sound, vocally or instrumentally, are then studied and copied by other wannabe musicians. When Adele broke onto the scene, she had quite a unique sound. And suddenly, I don't know about you, but I started noticing lots of other Adele sound-alikes. Suddenly it was a thing. Oh, let me, let's sound like Adele. She's very successful. And it's a very strange thing where people actually train to be like somebody else. I want to just talk for a moment about this wannabe attitude because I think it's important because there's a contrast here with what Paul is saying. You see, a wannabe attitude often starts with a lack of satisfaction of who we are. I don't like myself. Someone else seems to have it more together or is more successful or is more beautiful or somehow more complete. But imitation then becomes a falsehood because you are not that person and you're pretending to be something or someone you can never be. And actually any measurement of comparison is never kind. And partly that's because you don't necessarily see the flaws in the other person. All you see is what's good about them. And comparison is never kind. And we'll never be satisfied if it's a wannabe type thing that we're living. Because we always carry ourselves with us. Actually, it's our self that becomes in imitation of God. The problem is, you see, you might think that Paul's injunction to imitate God 
feels like a heavy load to pick up. It's like, you know what? I'm just not good enough. I just can't do that. I can't, I can't be like him. And it just brings a comparison that ends in a sense of failure and struggle. And I think if we get there, we've missed the point. Because it's a very different thing. Because with Christ, the one that we're called to imitate actually knows you. And he loves you. And he loved you enough to lay down his life for you. This isn't the imitation of a wannabe. This is the imitation of a disciple. The master has done everything in his power to help you be successful. I'm not sure the Adele wannabes actually had Adele coaching them. Jesus is our coach. And the Bible talks about fathers. It says, there are not, Paul says, there are many teachers but not many fathers. A good father, the distinctive of a good father is that he wants his children and is not threatened by his children doing better than him. A teacher can't tolerate a child or a disciple doing better than them because it puts their own situation in jeopardy. But a father says, go for it. Stand on my shoulders. And I think, in my understanding, when Jesus said, greater things shall you do than I have done, that was his heart. He was like a father. He was saying, you know what? You're going to do better than me. You're going to go further than me. You're going to go faster than me. You're going to go higher than me. And that only will happen as we, as a church, as people, have fathers and mothers who are there to encourage and to strengthen those who are younger in the faith. And who actually will say, you know what, I want you to do better than me. I got this far and that's all right. But I want you to do more. I want you to go further. And this is the God that we have. That he's saying, be imitators of God. Because he's actually equipping you. He's actually giving you what you need. It's not a, a load to carry but it's a race to run. So how are we to do this? Well, in this passage, Paul gives us two clear instructions. The first is to walk in love. And the second is to walk in God's light. Or actually it says, to be light. So let's look at these. I'm going to start with walking in love. And walk in love 
as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He loved us. He gave himself for us. And we are to be imitators of him in love. That sounds costly, doesn't it? It doesn't sound necessarily easy. And I don't think it is easy. But actually loving others like Christ loved us is actually impossible without the Spirit of God, without the Holy Spirit. It is impossible. It cannot be done. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is absolutely vital. Or else you're just going to do something in your own strength and it'll look good for a while, but it'll have no authenticity about it. But the Spirit of God within us, pouring out the Father's love for others within us, means that we can do that. And the, the bit that fill uh, the end of chapter 4, Um, that Phil so well brought to us last week, ends with this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is so vital that we are at one with the Spirit, that we're walking in step with the Spirit. And as we grieve the Spirit, then it's kind of like this disconnect that happens. And we have to get back We have to get that relationship back. We have to rebuild that relationship. I just want to be clear about one thing. Jesus made one sacrifice for all. This imitation is not about dying on a cross. There's no need for a further sacrifice. But the attitude is the same. We give ourselves to lead others towards God and demonstrate what the love of God means. What living in the kingdom looks like. It's like we've got access to resources in heaven. We've been given the key to a stronghold, a big, like a big safe. And in there is everything that we need for God is calling us to do. The spare lungs in there for people that need new lungs. I remember actually somebody saying that so once where um, he said God was, pre- was praying for someone and they had um, problems with their lungs. And, um, and he said, I just feel God is saying to me that he's got a spare pair of lungs for you in heaven. And he goes, oh, okay. And, um, and he says, he didn't know what to do, so he just kind of literally reached out and kind of <laughs> pushed it into the guy's chest. And, um, and it, it was just like a kind of strange thing, but, it, but there was a real sense of God about this as he did it. And this guy went for a scan um, because he was under the doctor because of whatever it was he had. And the doctor's like looking at the, the scan and he's looking at the old scan and he's going, we've got a problem here, sorry, we don't seem to have your records or the records have all got mixed up. And the guy's going, well, what do you mean? He said, well, these lungs aren't the same as those lungs. <laughs> and, and the guy's going, oh, okay, I've got a story to tell you. 
And literally his lungs were different lungs. Anyway, we digress. But we have this access to all the resources of heaven. And in Romans 8, we've said about how creation is on tiptoe. Longing for the children to enter this potential, to enter into the place that God has for us, where we're imitators of God. Walking in love is not easy. It's costly. And all the time, there's a demonic corruption following us. There's an agenda that wants to undermine this love of God. And that's what Paul brings us to in this passage. He talks about a triad of vices. Paul's clear that these vices are seeking to steal away this vision, this living as the children of God in a world where the, very, you know, the creation wants us to step forward. These vices have one purpose, and that's to render the children of God powerless and cover them with shame. Convincing him, convincing them that they have no love to offer the world. This is serious stuff. These three vices that are there to snare us. Paul lists uh, sexual immorality and impurity, a, a, a thing that's actually a sin against God and a sin against love itself. This is sex commoditized. It's no longer the expression of love and commitment, but is distorted for the sole intent of self-gratification. This sin no longer sees other men or women as people, but objects of lust or derision. Sex and sexuality originate in God's design. And they're there to express intimately the love between a husband and a wife. And for the creation of children and the continuation of the human race. But the work of the devil is to damage and destroy all that's made by God and that is pure. That is his intent. In fact, you have something that the devil wants more than anything. And that is to be like God. And he hates you for it. That you are in the image of God and you are imitators of God by, by invitation. And the devil wants what you've got and cannot have it. Filthy language. This is the battle for how words are used. Words are distorted to project a narrow view, a self-inflating view or a view that, or, or words that are designed to humiliate and bring others low. Such words are divisive and destructive. However, words are important for a truthful society. 
and must be protected. For they are powerful. The universe was created by word from God. Language itself then originates with God. And Satan will do everything he can to corrupt that which has come from God. Greed and covetousness. Did you know it's possible to loathe yourself and be self-centered? This is the wannabe attitude mixed with self at the center. And it's the, if only I was more talented. If only I was more intelligent. If only I was more beautiful. If only I was like him or I was like her. If only if I had another thousand pounds, ten thousand pounds, hundred million, whatever it is. I think it was Warren Buffett who, when he was asked what was his most satisfying million, his, his answer was the next one. You get caught in this desire for something else, something more that controls, that shapes, that distorts who you are. And as I've said, the devil has a wannabe attitude. He craves what you have. He craves who you are. In particular here, Paul is thinking of the power of riches that keeps us wanting more and preventing us from loving those who need help. These three vices, all three of them, break down social trust and they create love in their own image. And it's a self-love. No longer is love and commitment measured by the love of God, which was given without you know, no account to cost the agape love of God, but rather sex, words, possessions become tools to control, sources of bitterness, division, and even death. These three, intertwined, seek to destroy the fabric of society and loving relationships and create a world focused on self-gratification they are devices of the devil. So what is the antidote? I hear you saying. Because there has to be one, surely. God, Paul wouldn't just tell us what they are and then not tell us what to do or how to deal with this. And the answer was there in verse 4. Can you remember what it was? Oh, there we go. How do we protect ourselves? Thanksgiving. Simple. Well, simples as the meerkats would say. You see, sexual immorality 
grabbing what you can with no thought of tomorrow or forcing another into a place of submission, dependence or even slavery. As the opposite to that is a heart full of gratitude that knows that God knows what we need. It's a thanksgiving that God cares for me. As a single person, you, you can struggle with this. But I can tell you that I know that God loves you more than you know and can give you everything that you need. As a married person, sexual union is the expression of love given. For each other. And it starts, it's first, if you like, an act that's a giving act rather than a taking act. Coarse language springs from a place of bitterness or cynicism or callousness. Whereas a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving brings out words of grace and hope. Our words carry life. Or death. Proverbs 19.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. What are the fruits you're going to eat? Are you going to love words of grace? Or are you going to love words of bitterness and corruption? One will result in life just as the words of God does. Let there be life. And there was. Or are they words that will destroy and even bring death? Even words spoken over yourself, I'll never be any good. I'll always be a failure. I've always messed it up. All of those words that you speak over yourself are words of death. Rather, speak the words of life and of grace over your life. God loves me. God's got more for me. God's prepared good things for me. So wherever you are at this moment, there is hope for the future. Covetousness is actually falseness towards God, for in its heart is idolatry. Putting something else or someone else before the love of God and neighbour. But do you know, our identity is not in what we own or desire to own. It's not in discontentment. Our identity is in God, who God has made you and me. And he calls us to be grateful for what he's made you and me to be. Yeah, sure, he's still tidying up some bits. It's called sanctification, if you want a theological word for it. Yeah, there's still things we get wrong. But do you know, God looks at you and goes, that's my girl, that's my boy. And he's, I've heard people even say, I know God loves me, I'm not sure he likes me. Do you know how ridiculous that is, as a saying? <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. If God loves you, he likes you. 
can't. Anyway, we've got to move on because time's gone. I haven't got the second bit yet. But I think that's really short. So be, be encouraged. It's really short. Um, it, but each of these vices focuses the heart and mind on living for the now. Immediate pleasure rather than all that God has for you. I would appeal to you to take these vices seriously and steer clear of them. Make sure they don't get a grip on your life. Practice thanksgiving. I've always referred to um, Jeremiah. You know, he just amazes me, Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the writer of Lamentations. And I've said before, Lamentations was written when Jerusalem was under siege and there was actually cannibalism going on in the city. Such was the desperate state of that city at the time when he wrote Lamentations that um, you'd forgive Jeremiah for not practicing his thanksgiving. But I love it because he says right in the middle of Lamentations, he says... um, Somebody quote it, that new every morning is your faithfulness to me. You know, he, he practices the thanksgiving. He says, you know what, even in this, I know that God has good things for me today. Because I believe in him. And we practice thanksgiving. I'm, I'm getting off my track. Um, Paul here um, warns us of the consequences of this lifestyle that, um, that flows from these vices. He says, for you may be sure of this, that any, everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. He's saying these things, these three things, don't even give them a moment in your life. He doesn't mince his words. These things are from the devil himself, robbing God's children of the life of being imitators of God. We're called rather to bring the hope and the reality of heaven into tough situations, restoring broken lives. The love of God, he says, walk in the love of God rather than walking in darkness. And that's the second part. Quickly then. Therefore, do not become partners with them for at one time you were were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And again, it starts with the therefore says, therefore, because of these three things, because we're called to be imitators of God, take no part in these unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, he says. Like Paul, we should hate these things. But as you know what, it takes courage to expose them. 
We live in a world of self-interested tribes where outsiders suspicion. And the need to feel included can numb us to underlying rhetoric. We live in a world of tribalism. Okay, those tribes don't look like tribes of old. They're tribes, they're modern tribes. They're tribes of political thinking or they're tribes of following a particular dressing style that, um, or a certain kind of, you know, and, and the internet connects people in such a way that you can find others who fit in with your tribe. And such is the desire to belong that we can miss sometimes what's going on. And the problem is that these vices, the abuse of true true speech or sexual immorality or covetousness become normalised in society. Especially a society that doesn't hold any real value for truth or absolute truth. I actually feel a little bit sorry for Pilate who asked the question, what is truth? Because he was between a rock and a hard place. But it still doesn't excuse him. And it's always the case. Paul says, anything that becomes visible is light. He says, therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awake, the light shining. It's time to walk in the daytime. The light of darkness is behind you. This, this quoted fragment is thought to be part of a baptismal hymn. We're not quite sure, but that's what it's thought to be. Calling the new convert to live their life in the light of Christ. The one who was dead now lives and is called to a life of walking in the same power and effectiveness as Christ. No wonder creation is on tiptoe. To walk in the same power and authority as Christ, carrying the Spirit of God within us. This is what it means to walk in imitation of God. Let's pray. Dear Father God, thank you for the amazing and complete salvation that Jesus bought for me and for all who love you. I can only just begin to understand what it means to be one who imitates you. One who carries such favour from heaven that I can express a true likeness of the God of heaven and earth in every circumstance in which you lead me. Help me, help us, O Lord, to remain pure and righteous steering clear of the vices that contaminate and draw us down. 
Spirit of God, help me to know when I haven't closed that door firmly enough. And speak your caution loudly into my spirit that I can continue to live and move in you, ready for every circumstance. Jesus, thank you for your love and for your sacrifice. Help me to walk in that same love that you displayed and to live in the light of your revelation that I might indeed be light to those around. In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Bless you all.